We'll turn once again in God's Word to the passage we read from 1 Peter chapter 5. And we're taking this evening our text from verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. This passage that we've read, the wider passage, speaks about ministers and elders as shepherds of the sheep. That is the charge given to them. We see it there in verse 2, shepherd the flock or shepherd the sheep of God. And so this passage, in particular this verse before us, refers to ministers and to elders. It is an induction service of a minister that we're here for today. But more widely this verse applies to elders. And I see before me ministers and elders from other denominations and we're very pleased that you can be here and we hope that this will be an encouragement to you also. But there are also others here who maybe aren't serving in these offices in the church. But perhaps it is the will of God that at some time in the future you will serve as an elder or as a minister of the word of God. And so this passage is one that you should listen to and carefully to observe. All the Reformed churches in this land have a shortage of ministers going out with the gospel. They have a shortage of ruling elders to govern wisely the church that Christ purchased with his blood. And so I hope that this is a challenge to such men that they would consider the noble task. But then, of course, more widely, this passage applies to all of us here within the church of Christ. Even though some of you will never serve in these offices, nevertheless, this passage shows you what you may expect from a minister of God and from an elder. But not only what you may expect, not only what his duty is, but also how you can pray for him. Every duty uh, that Christ lays down for his ministers in the scripture, God's people should turn into prayers to pray for him. Because every duty requires grace in order to fulfill it. Verses 2 and 3 of this chapter speak of the elder's duty. And you can see there what they are. But it's primarily verse 4 that I want us to see. It's the motivation behind it all. And something which is very easy to forget. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Those of you who are ministers, you know that the pastoral ministry is very busy. There are constant demands. Demands to produce sermons. Because the Lord's day comes around. And whether you're ready or not, you must stand up before the people of God and proclaim the word of God to needy souls. There's the pressure of uh, pastoral burdens. Remember what the Apostle Paul said. He faced persecutions. He was whipped. He was stoned and left for dead. He was shipwrecked. But what burdened him particularly? It was his anxiety for the churches. His concern for the Christians, for the lambs of God. 
And so the ministry has such burdens. Because the sick require comforted. The wayward need to be corrected. And those who are tender in the faith need to be encouraged and built up. But not only that, there are further burdens when we consider church government. There are the courts of Christ's house to be moderated. The committees that we sit upon. The work that we do. There's evangelism as we try to reach out to a lost community who is without God and therefore without hope in this world. There's a pressure of witness bearing that we're called to witness to Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, and to proclaim Christ's crown and covenant to this nation. All these pressures come upon us in the ministry. Never mind our chief duty to pray. Remember in Acts chapter 6 how there was a need in Jerusalem that brought about the office of the deacon. And the apostles were particularly uh, there noting, we will give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Prayer first and then the ministry of God's word. So many pressures upon ministers and by consequence also on ruling elders. But friends, do we forget verse 4? Amid all these pressures, do we forget this great promise, this motivation for us to discharge our duties faithfully and to the honour of Christ? Are we not the worse off because we forget such a verse as this one. I want you to see first of all from this verse that Christ is the chief shepherd. When the chief shepherd appears, this chief shepherd can be none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Although the passage speaks of ministers and elders as shepherds, pastors of the flock of God, Nevertheless, the chief shepherd is set apart distinctly as over all of these under-shepherds. This word here that Peter uses, chief shepherd, two words in English, one word in Greek, it's a unique word in the scripture. seems almost one that he he has formed himself to elevate Christ as above us. We can be so focused in the ministry, but Christ is over us, the chief shepherd of the sheep. And for all of you who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and have the hope of eternal life, can there be a more comforting thought than to consider Christ the chief shepherd? Think of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Those of you who are able by God's grace To claim that as your own testimony. What a comfort. The Lord is my shepherd. As John chapter 10 from the lips of Jesus himself says. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. And am known by my own. He is the good shepherd, the great shepherd of the sheep. 
And not one minister here, not one minister in the world can fulfill what Christ is to the church of Christ. He and he alone is that good shepherd. Ministers can't lay down their life for your atonement, for your propitiation, for your redemption. We can't shed our blood to improve your standing before God. We are not Christ. As much as we're called to be like him, we are not Christ to you. You need the shepherd, the good shepherd. 1 Peter chapter 2, earlier in this book, tells us that. You were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Ministers, shepherd souls, that's true. We try to reach beyond simply the intellect, but not one of us can be the shepherd of your soul as Christ is. We cannot preserve you in beyond death itself. No, Christ alone is the chief shepherd. Think of passages like Isaiah 40 and verse 11. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. No minister can do this for you, the people of God. No minister can carry the lambs of God in his bosom. Ministers are under shepherds. We are under one who has authority. This is the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. And I think there it's very important for us to note what Peter says in verse 1. Because he reminds the people that he is a fellow elder. He is equal with them in governing in the house of God. He doesn't say that he is chief among the apostles. He doesn't say that he has primacy, that he is the most important in the government of Christ's church. No, he says, I am equal with the elders, a fellow elder. Friends, that reminds us of the great blasphemy in the Roman Catholic system that elevates a mere man to be a chief shepherd of the sheep. What a blasphemy to usurp the place of the Lord Jesus Christ. May we never put a man in the place of the good shepherd. So we see firstly Christ is the chief shepherd. But then secondly see that the chief shepherd is returning. Verse 4 again, when the chief shepherd appears. That is, when he comes back. And when we see him, there's a certainty here, isn't there? It's not if Jesus returns again, but it's when he returns. Expect it. He is coming. Ministers have a lot of work to do. Friends, we don't see Christ bodily. He is not present here on earth in his body. His body is in heaven. And therefore in our labors in the study we do not see Christ. When we come into a pulpit although we pray for Christ's 
spiritual presence. We do not see him in the assembly, nor in our presbyteries and in our sessions. Christ is not seen, though we love him. But friends, perhaps we can forget that he is coming again. He is returning when the chief shepherd appears. He is coming back. And one of the things he will do is see how his ministers have carried out their commission from him. Remember what he said to Peter so poignantly on the beach after his resurrection. Feed my sheep. He's coming to see how we do in feeding the sheep, in caring for the lambs of God. I don't know if any of you here, through the course of the pandemic, ended up working remotely. You used to work in an office, perhaps, where your boss was always present in the building. At any moment, he could come and look over your shoulder to see whether you're doing your work properly and carefully. But in the pandemic, all that was removed. Your boss was far from you. No one was looking over your shoulder. You were left, you and your own conscience, to decide for yourself, would you do your work conscientiously or not? And friends, it's the same. We can think of Christ. He's not bodily present, but he still sees. Ministers and elders Are you doing your duties conscientiously? But not only that, are you doing your duties with hope? It's not enough simply that we tick the boxes and do what must be done. But do we have the hope which motivates us? The hope of a verse like this. It is a solemn thought to consider that Christ is returning. One day he shall come with the clouds. The trumpet will be heard. The dead will be raised. He is coming to judge. And I want you to to consider in chapter 4 and verse 17. This verse that gives us a perspective on it. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first. What will the end be of those who do not obey the gospel of God? It's time for judgment, and it begins at the house of God. Peter has here in mind a specific trial, a specific judgment. The Lord judges in time. Despite the skeptics and the mockers, the Lord is active. And he sends judgments on the earth. Read the book of Revelation. And you see that quite clearly. Through time, through history, he pours forth his judgment into this world. And so Peter has in mind here a specific judgment. But nevertheless, all judgments in time are but a foretaste of the final judgment to come. All of these point us forward to that time when Christ returns. And the day of judgment begins. There will be judgment. And if it begins with the house of God, can we not, uh, by logical consequence, say it begins with the ministers and the elders? If it begins with the church, the house of God, surely it begins 
with those who are leaders in the church of Christ. A solemn thought for us to consider that we will be judged. Remember what James says, not many of us should become teachers. We will face a more severe judgment. And friends, on that day, when the house of God is is begun to be judged by Christ, and ministers and elders are judged, the hypocrites will be discovered. In this land, there are many hypocrites who come up into pulpits. There are many who don't know the power of God, and yet they proclaim things from pulpits such as this. They will be found out. They'll say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do wonders in your name? Jesus looks at them and says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Terrifying words. Solemn words for ministers especially to hear that. I prophesied in your name, didn't I? I never knew you. When judgment begins at the house of God, Christ will discover the hypocrites. He will divide the sheep from the goats. Friends, that judgment won't just be upon the ministers and elders. It's the whole house of God. All of you who profess the name of Christ, all shall be judged. And to those to whom much was given, much will be required. But solemnly, look at the verse again where it says, it's time for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel? question, isn't it? If judgment is severe upon those within the church, what about those who do not obey the gospel? Friends, don't think that the gospel is simply an invitation that you can take or leave. If it works for you, good. Become a Christian. If, if you don't fancy it, leave it. That's fine. It's up to you to decide. The gospel is not given simply as an invitation. It's a command. It's a summons that all must come before the royal king, Christ Jesus, and bow in repentance and submit to him in faith. That's why it speaks here of obeying the gospel. What will the end be of those who do not obey the gospel? And so friends, let me urge you, even though you're here interested in the induction of a minister, I don't presume that all of you here have obeyed the gospel. Judgment will begin at the house of God. But what for those who do not obey the gospel? Look at the next question in verse 18. Now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? 2 Thessalonians 1 verses 8 and 9 shows us the terror of this day. The Lord Jesus will be revealed in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey 
the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, they shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Is it any wonder, friends, that the chief burden of ministers is to preach to you to flee from the wrath which is to come? The chief shepherd, we've seen that he is Jesus, and we see that he will appear, and he appears and brings judgment. But friends, we move thirdly to see that the chief shepherd will reward faithful ministers. When he comes and when he assesses the work of those before him, he doesn't merely give judgment, but he also brings rewards. Verse 4 of chapter 5 once again. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Now, in order to understand what Peter is saying here, we have to remember what the crowns were in the ancient world and when they were given. In the various sporting events and athletic tournaments, the victor received a laurel wreath which was put upon his head, a crown of glory, to say that he has won, he has conquered, he has beat all the others, and he can celebrate for that time with the mark on his head, the symbol of glory. But that wreath, how quickly it faded away, how quickly it withered, it had to be cast aside. It was not a crown of glory that does not fade away. And Peter here is showing us that there's a big difference between the temporary accolades of this world and the unfading glorious reward given by Christ to his ministers and to his elders. Paul picks up on this in 1 Corinthians 9, speaking of those who are sporty. Now they compete to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. And so there's a sense that all of God's people You're competing for something that does not fade away. 2 Timothy 4, the last epistle that Paul wrote, There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do you love the appearing Christ? Are you looking forward with hope to his return? Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Do you discern the signs of the times and consider, is Christ coming? Is he moving? Is his gospel advancing? And do you rejoice in that? There's a crown of glory, not only for the ministers who are faithful, but for those who have loved his appearing. This crown of glory It does not fade away. Peter's already used that language, hasn't he, in chapter 1? Of that inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, and does not fade away. Something for us to look forward to. It's obvious that this crown of glory is not earthly honor. Christ does not just give 
such weak and perishable things to his ministers. And in fact, those of you who are ministers know that there is little honour and there is little uh, praise or, uh, or anything like that for the ministers of God's word in this world. When culture speaks of pastors, whether in literature or in the television, what does it portray? Someone who is weak. Have you ever noticed that? That the, the character of the minister is weak. There's something about him. He's not a hero. He's not a strong character. It's an attempt to undermine, little by little, drip by drip, to undermine the office Christ has instituted for the publishing of glad tidings. There is little honour in this world. It's becoming increasingly hard for ministers to do their duties. Those who go to the streets and preach Christ can be mocked, can be taunted, can be arrested. And friends, the more we see things going in an evil direction, the more we can expect it. Didn't Christ say that? Didn't he warn uh, the disciples that he sent out two by two? This is what will happen to you. This is what you're to expect in this world. They have hated me. Therefore, they will hate you. There are no earthly honors for the ministers of Christ. Rather, we're to look to something future. We're to look to this crown of glory that the chief shepherd is pleased in his grace to bestow to ministers. It's not a crown that is earned by works. It's a crown that is given by grace. It's a reward. A reward for the faithful minister. And there's no need for us, as some do, there's no need for us to get nervous about the doctrine of rewards. So many Christians today think that rewards and justification by grace can't stand together. Some people think these things contradict one another. We're justified freely by grace, not on account of our works, lest any man should boast. But rewards, doesn't that contradict that? Isn't this a way of of works righteousness that you put in so much and you get so much back in return friends we must remember that Christ's rewards are gracious gifts and not deserved the faithful minister who has spent himself for Christ is still simply an unprofitable servant one who has simply done his duty for the glory of Christ Justification and rewards go together. We don't have to exclude one for the other. The Bible embraces both. And in this verse we see that ministers and elders who discharge their duties faithfully for Christ are to look in Christ's coming for a reward. Ministers will be rewarded according to how they have fulfilled their function under Christ. If you look back at verses 2 and 3, the the duties 
of the shepherds, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion. Has the minister of God served in this way? Not by compulsion, but willingly. That's the mark of a faithful minister. Has he uh, served not for dishonest gain, but eagerly? That's another mark of a faithful minister. Has he served not lording it over the people entrusted to him, but being an example that leads at the front? That's another mark of the faithful minister of God. And if this is the way you who are ministers and elders, by God's grace, fulfill your office, fulfilling your commission from Christ, well then we look for a reward. One that is not merited. It can never be merited. But one which is graciously given by a God who not only loves us enough to save us from sin, but loves us enough to give crimes to sinners such as we are. There's hope. Hope for us in the future. Friends, we must consider how many pastors are leaving the ministry. How many uh, for whom the pressures are too much. For those who are despised and rejected so much that they see no course open to them but to leave. For those who are troubled by sin and temptation. But yet, we're to look forward to a reward. Continue on being faithful even unto the point of death. Spending ourselves and being spent for the sake of Christ. Because he will reward us. This motivation is something we, we should consider. Ministers, brethren, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we consider this? It's easy to forget, as I said earlier. And yet the text is so certain. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory. I look and I see some of you are retired ministers. And there's not much time left, perhaps. But it's close. It's something to look forward to. You will receive your crown of glory. Go on just a little longer. Serving the chief shepherd of the sheep. We're here to induct a minister uh, to this charge. Uh, and I can't stand here and lecture him or give him any advice that would be profitable to him in many ways. He's my senior in gifts and in maturity. And if you were here five years ago, you would have heard the counsel he gave to me. But I do charge you by Christ to hope for your reward. Take verse 4 uh, to heart. Look forward to the appearing of the chief shepherd, knowing that you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. May it be true that in your labors in this congregation... That you may be enabled to do so with hope, looking to his appearing. To do so with joy, knowing that the difficulties that we face now are temporary and not even worthy to be compared with the glory which is to be revealed. And may those of you who are in the congregation, may you pray for your minister that he may labor 
and look forward to this reward. May you encourage him to look forward. May you not be someone simply who adds burdens to him, that drags him down, but may you encourage him that he will run the race with endurance, looking to Jesus. Jesus is standing at that finish line, not with a crown of laurels, a wreath that will perish, but a crown of glory which will not fade. Of course, this verse does raise the question, what is this crown of glory? What does it encompass? What does it entail? What will it be like? And friends, when it comes to what we receive in heaven, when it comes to what our exaltation shall be, it's hard to say too much definitively because there still remains so much mystery. We know it will be great. It will be wonderful. But what will it be like exactly? It will wait us to see. But a few verses do come to mind. Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crime, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Paul equates the church in Philippi as being his crime. Or in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crime of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? A part of the crown of glory for faithful ministers and elders surely is seeing those people entrusted into their care in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ at his coming. To see them on the side with the sheep and not on the side with the goats. To part, not a whole. To see those for whom we have labored. To see them there with Christ. Samuel Rutherford famously wrote to his congregation in Anruth, to the parish there, and he said, Your heaven would be two heavens for me. And the salvation of you all as two salvations for me. You see see what he's saying? Imagine how good heaven will be for the average member of the church who believes in Christ Jesus. What will heaven be like? And yet, for the minister of God who has served them, who has preached to them, who has travailed in childbirth that Christ might be formed in them, their heaven will be two heavens to him. To see someone that you preach to, that they might come to a saving knowledge of Christ, will that salvation not be as two salvations for the faithful minister of Christ? And friends, in that day, when we see our crown in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ at his coming, where will the pain be? Where will the agony be? The anxieties? All those sleepless nights looking for the wayward sheep? All those times where you've expended yourself to ward off the wolves that they would not harm the flock of Christ? Will it not all be worth it 
to see our crown in the presence of our Lord and Saviour. Let it be known now in your midst that the chief shepherd of the sheep is returning once again. And to those of you who are office bearers, not only in our presbytery but more widely, may it be known that the crown of glory is laid up for Christ's faithful ministers. A crown of glory that can never, ever fade away. And may the Lord God give to us the patience of hope that we will continue steadfast, looking to the day of his coming. Amen. Let's stand to call on God's name in prayer. Ever-blessed Lord God, we thank you that the scriptures are not just a book of rules laying down for us what must be done and what, what must not be done. But that your word gives to us powerful motivation why we are to serve Christ. O oh Lord, how unworthy we are of any grace. How unworthy we are of any reward. Lord, you are so good to give such gifts freely and without price. But Lord our God, may we labour for Christ, knowing that the chief shepherd of the sheep is returning. May you enable your servant to do so in this place. May you, Lord, encourage the congregation as they think of what lies ahead for the people of God. O Lord our God, take your word and apply it to our hearts. May your spirit enlighten our eyes that we will see these wonderful things from your law. O Lord, may he give us every encouragement in the days which are to come, especially in the dark days for the church of Christ. O Lord our God, may we see beyond May we walk by faith and not by sight. And may we have a hope which does not disappoint. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll sing now from Psalm 23, words well known to you. Words that we can rejoice in all who are sheep of God knowing the Good Shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, and seeing here all that he does throughout the whole course of our life in this world, taking us and feeding us, guiding us, restoring us, leading us through dark places, warning us, restoring us, furnishing our table with good things, filling our cup full, and taking us finally to that great and glorious place. If you see there in stanza six, goodness and mercy all my life shall surely follow me, and in God's house forevermore my dwelling place shall be. We'll remain seated to sing Psalm 23.
my soul.